I document one case and it really hit me in this report where a First Nations mom and she's in the hospital, the obstetrician's attending to her. She's about to have her baby by C-section. It's kind of high risk pregnancy. She's been sick. And the anesthesiologist is really manhandling her like really hard and yelling at her. And she's like, hey, what are you doing? And the anesthesiologist says this out loud to everybody there. People like her should be sterilized. That's Mary Ellen Terpel Lafond. She's a judge, a lawyer, she's an advocate for children's rights, and she's author of a report on racism in British Columbia's healthcare system. She's our guest today on the Akamemak podcast. Tanse and welcome to the Akamemak podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders, and community leaders. Last month, British Columbia Health Minister Adrian Dix made a public apology about the systemic anti-First Nations racism in his province's healthcare system. His apology followed the release of a report which detailed hundreds of examples of racism, prejudice, and profiling in the British Columbia healthcare system. That resulted in poorer health outcomes for First Nations and Métis people. Our guest this week is the author of this report. Mary Ellen Trapelafon is a retired judge. She's the former child safety watchdog for the province of British Columbia and is a proud member of the Muskeg Lake Cree Nation Treaty 6 Territory in Saskatchewan. Mary Ellen Trapelafond, welcome and to wow to the Akamemuk podcast. Thank you so much, National Chief. And I just want to acknowledge that I'm joining you today from Witsanich Territories on Vancouver Island. So I just want to acknowledge the unceded territory and the treaty territory of the First Nations, where I'm calling, uh, joining you from today it's in our virtual circle, National Chief. So good morning to you, or good afternoon, I guess, your time. Thanks so much for that, Mary Ellen. Now, the work you've done and your investigation was very thorough. You interviewed 150 people and surveyed almost over 10,000 people with over 5,000 healthcare workers, and you've reviewed 600 submissions to a tip line. So with all that information coming in and all that feedback, what were some of the main takeaways from what Indigenous people had to say and what, what, what did healthcare workers tell you? So this was a quite a thorough yeah, approach to this review, and I had a great team, mostly First Nations um, people, health experts. I had the former provincial health officer, Dr. Perry Kendall, as well. But we had a good team. But we were asked by the government of BC and Minister Adrian Dix to look at whether or not racism against Indigenous people is in the healthcare system in BC, and if so, what is it? What does it look like? And so forth. So we opened a 1-800 number or tip line and for email submissions. And I also began really uh, strong engagement and surveying with Indigenous people. And I have to say that even though we've had the pandemic, which means like I wasn't able to send people, say, into the homes of elders to get them to fill out the survey, which I would have liked to have done if we would have done it properly and had not had these restrictions. The response to the review, National Chief, was uh, overwhelming. Like that tip line within the first weekend had 200 cases, you know, and, and now as the time we're doing the podcast, I still have the tip line open. The Minister of Health asked me to keep it open because 
people don't feel like their complaints are helped dealt with well. So we're close to eight to 900 cases um, that have come in through the tip line, which then I had a chance to review and investigate. And then we had, you know, about 10,000 people engage with us in really lengthy, tough surveys. And, you know, I do want to make sure that people understand even listening to this podcast to get a bit of a trigger warning, like this is pretty sensitive material. And you'll see on the link that I provided uh, to you for the podcast, there are mental health supports. If people are listening to this and feel triggered, they can get support. It's engage.government.bc.ca. I've worked a lot in systems, National Chief, as you know, I've worked with you over the years from back when you were Chief of Federation of Saskatchewan Indian Nations. And, you know, I've worked in the justice system. I've worked in the child welfare system. This is my first time really doing a thorough review of a healthcare system. And what I found was pretty shocking, even to me, someone who has seen racism, systemic and individual racism before. It was really shocking. And the findings were released, as you say, on November 30th in a comprehensive report. Um, and I reported back on what I learned both in those individual cases from engaging and surveying Indigenous people directly. So, you know, thousands of Indigenous people. And I also surveyed frontline people, like at the point of care. What are they saying and thinking about services to Indigenous people? Have they seen racism? So overwhelming, all locations in British Columbia, all professions, whether it's dentistry, whether it's emergency rooms, whether it's family physicians, right across the board, without a lot of statistical significance about is it worse here or there, it's pretty much everywhere, I found very pervasive prejudice, stereotypes, and discrimination, and what I would call racism, something that we really haven't had a chance to talk about. What does it mean to have racism in a healthcare system? What does it look like? And what are the beliefs and behaviors that come with that? So it was a pretty staggering finding. I'm really glad Minister Adrian Dix not only commissioned the report, but the government of BC accepted it and offered immediately acceptance of the recommendation. So we are in a position where we're working together now in British Columbia, but I have to tell you, National Chief, the work is intense and it's going to take a lot of effort to eradicate this racism because it is so ingrained inside the healthcare system. Well, we're going to get to the recommendations shortly as well, but just reading all that report, all those reports, listening to all this information and hearing some of the racist comments and the thoughts that were there, um, was that surprising to you? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because like in the justice system where I've worked like as one of the first First Nations judges, for instance, in the provincial court level in Saskatchewan, which you're well aware of, National Chief, there is rampant racism. We know that the courts are chock-a-block with Indigenous people really being prosecuted for things related to poverty and, and violence that are intergenerational. It's kind of a negative system, the justice system, like you get arrested and you get hauled into it and all kind. We, we know there's racism there, but it's sort of like a negative, right? Child welfare is another really negative system that's about judging people's parenting and removing children. So we know they all start from this negative place. So we, we, we we're, we've never been super surprised to see the racism there. And we've got a lot of battles in those systems. But healthcare is different. Healthcare is supposed to come from a place of do no harm. Healthcare is about listening to people, diagnosing people. Like, you know, if your kidneys aren't working, does it really matter if you're First Nations or you're 
Caucasian or you just arrived from Iran to Canada, like it's your kidneys, right? So we don't expect there to be the same depth of racism in the healthcare system, at least I didn't, as I would see, like, yeah, the justice system in Saskatchewan, we see it every day because it's just, it's what they do, it's their industry is to prosecute Indigenous people, right? So we, we, we have our hands full there, we know. But healthcare, it's different training. People are trained to help people. They're trained to make people healthy. They're trained to listen and respect. They're trained to work together in a crisis to solve problems and make people better. So the, the, the big takeaway for me, National Chief, was how toxic racism is in that it has infiltrated so many parts of the system. And I'll just give you one case, one example. And I'm a mom of four kids myself. And, you know, a lot of us have big families, Indigenous families. We tend to have quite a few kids and we love our families and so forth. You know, I, I document one case and it really hit me in this report. I document one case where is a First Nations mom and she's in the hospital, the obstetrician's attending to her. She's about to have her baby by C-section. It's kind of high risk pregnancy. She's been sick. And the anesthesiologist is really manhandling her like really hard, right? And yelling at her. And she's like, hey, what are you doing? And, the, and, and her partner's there. They're like, what's going on, right? And the anesthesiologist says, you know, says this out loud to everybody there. People like her should be sterilized. Right. So that whole concept, people like her should be sterilized, meaning what indigenous women that have what more than one child should be sterilized. So I'm just unpacking that's one case of many. And again, I gave the trigger warning because I, I detailed maybe about 30 emblematic cases where I really told the story in the report about what it means to experience racism. And again, myself as a mom, I've had children, I had twins. And I know in that moment when you deliver a child, like it's a really powerful personal experience. It's really important one. It's very spiritual as well, but you also need help, right? That's a time where all the times in your life, when I look back, I'm like, that's the time I would need some of the most help ever. And uh, here, this is what this woman experienced. And so you can imagine to this day, when I'm talking to her, she's like, to this day, that's what I think about when I go into the hospital to get care is that mentality. And, and, the, the, how racism, how the, the beliefs, the behaviors, like, okay, that was set in front of a team. Did that anesthesiologist ever have a response, have some sort of accountability? You know, what happened with that? So I just, I put that out there just to say, National Chief, that this should be the most positive time. Going into healthcare is positive, right? So the fact that, and, and, and I don't want to promote stereotypes, but we like to think in British Columbia, we've done a lot of work on reconciliation, right? So when I saw the depth of the racism, and I'll, I'll, I'll run through what I found when, uh, you know, if you can, I've done a bit of a chart kind of to describe it for people so they don't have to read 270 pages, but the types of prejudices, it was very interesting to see what they were, because they're sort of like what you may have seen yourself in your life, National Chief, throughout your whole life, and the fact that I've seen them. And it's kind of surprising that they're still there in 2020. Okay. Well, why don't we talk about that chart? And this, uh, to the listeners on the Akamega podcast, we'll make sure that this chart is available on our social media and everything else because it talks about, you know, colonization, first contact, the stereotypes. Because this is something that we face all the time as First Nations people, like the stereotype that, oh, we're, we're dumb, stupid, lazy, drunk, welfare, burden on Canadian taxpayers. That's pervasive right across Canada, not only in Saskatchewan, where I grew up, but it's there, but it's right across Canada. So why don't you talk about 
your chart and what you you how you found things through your 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 research through this report yeah exactly and so the reason why it's important again as first nations people sometimes we 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 use we will create an image right and so i have good cultural advisors here uh that assisted me through this process uh, in terms of, I had Shane Point from Musqueam as a cultural mm-hmm. advisor and support to the whole review because we he really promoted the whole Caminum concept, Kosage concept of Natsumat. Like we are one, like bring it together, show it, right? So mm-hmm. that's a really important because sometimes the method of how you do things, if you're an Indigenous person, you work a bit differently, but there's hundreds of pages of material, a lot of data for people who are data geeks and whatever, but really I like to like this chart. So what mm-hmm. this chart tells you is how you come in to understanding the healthcare system. The first thing you have to understand is Indigenous people, of course, have our own systems of knowledge and practices of wellness and health and living in these territories for millennia, as we know, and that that's was very successful. But then we move from that into this incredibly um, heavy experience of colonialism. And what did colonialism look like for healthcare, right? Like people, I found people didn't know this, even in British Columbia today. They don't realize that what colonialism in healthcare is segregated healthcare, the Indian hospitals, mm-hmm. not having healthcare. Sometimes I found cases where Indigenous people were sent to a veterinarian instead of a doctor. It, instances where uh, people went to the TB hospitals, kids, as you know, went from right from the residential schools to the TB hospitals and never returned home. We lost track of them. And even just in British Columbia, like the Nanaimo Indian Hospital, there still are people buried in Sanaimo First Nation, nameless people or First Nations people have no connection to Sanaimo who died at that hospital and whose remains are there. And we've never even dealt with it. So even like at that level of how does colonialism work, it's a segregated healthcare system. And I know National Chief, you're well aware, and I know from the treaty viewpoint, we have like that medicine chest clause in the treaty which guaranteed and promised medicines and promised healthcare. But the experience was, despite that promises, was this colonial experience of segregating people into the second-rate healthcare system, not giving healthcare. And then again, I talk about this in the report, very painful, but very important, medical experiments on Indigenous people. So medical experiments were conducted on kids in the residential school system in BC and elsewhere. And medical experiments were conducted on an ongoing basis by researchers. People go to these schools like UBC School of Medicine. They do a research project. They conduct experiments on Indigenous people. So these are not just things that are like, oh, that's in the history books. I just I say that in the report because this is why some of the attitudes that are there are so ingrained. Right. So then we come through that colonialism. And where do we land? Well, for an Indigenous person, they come into the point of care. Like you come into whether it's emergency room, where have you, but let's use the emergency room. They come in to get care. What do they find when they get there? Well, I found about, these are the top seven forms of prejudice that I found in the BC healthcare system. And you named a number of them, National Chief. One, Indigenous people are less worthy, just less worthy of care right from the day they, the minute they walk in. So you sit in the emergency room, you're going to sit there while everyone else goes in and you don't get taken in. Less worthy. And I, 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 I enumerate, uh, enumerate many examples of all of these categories. That Indigenous people are drinkers or alcoholics. They're drug seeking. So seeking drugs. They're not really in pain. They're just drug seeking. And I'll just do as an aside, I tell a story in the report about an 11-year-old girl who has epilepsy. 
um, from a First Nation in BC and she goes with her mom to the hospital and they keep saying, are you drunk? Are you drunk? Are you drunk? And she's like, no, my medicine's not working. I'm 11, right? So it permeates someone, even a little child. Are you drunk, right? So the assumption, so they actually left that hospital and went somewhere else to get care because it was so traumatic for them. The idea that you're bad parents, and this is something you've worked a lot on National Chief as your time as leader, the uh, those birth alerts and all of that information that the child welfare system dumped in the healthcare system. I even found files where there's like a purple dot on the file, which is just know this parent is a bad parent, right? Maybe they just had an allegation from 12 years ago, but it sits with them and it rides with them. So the assumption that you're a bad parent, just right off the bat, like this must be something bad happening. The kid must have been abused. Then you're a frequent flyer. That was a common concept. You're a frequent flyer because Indigenous people sometimes get care through emergency rooms because they don't have uh, family docs. So they're, they're called frequent flyers as opposed to people that need health care. That you're non-compliant, less capable. This was a big one. Get stuff for free. This like real, like you get stuff for free. Like, um, I don't know if people have looked at the formulary for what drugs actually First Nations get, but we don't tend to get the good drugs. We tend to get the old ones, right? So the idea that we get everything the for free. drugs, yeah, yeah. And then, and then National Chief, there is this whole other layer, like kind of combined in a really misogynistic views about women. And I told the story earlier about the woman delivering. So, you know, there was a woman with a urologist getting a test because yeah. she had bladder cancer. And that the urologist was really rough. And she's like, I don't, this is hurting. And he's like, well, I thought you native women like it rough. So like sexist, violent, uh, and then like oh. women have too many children, blah, blah, blah. So all of this misogynist racist. So again, trigger warning, that's the part of the bundle that I saw everywhere. So if we had to, to assess what are the top forms of prejudice and racism, that's the top form. And I think National Chief, when you see it, we see it. But what does it mean in healthcare? It means discrimination. So when you work with Indigenous people, that's where you start to experience the discrimination. Exactly. You get abusive interactions, right? Abusive verbal, physical abuse. You get denial of service. You get ignored and shunned. You get poor pain ma management. And you get what's really staggering is medical mistakes. Because if you don't actually listen to people, if you're so prejudiced before you see them, you will not treat them. So someone may have cancer and you've just said, oh, they're drug seeking, but actually they have pain. And I found many cases of medical mistakes because of racism, not listening, not seeing that patient as someone that needs to have proper communication in a culturally safe way to hear what's going on. So this bundle that I found in BC, this is just BC, I know, but I'm sure mm -hmm. you, you would say, National Chief, yourself as a young person growing up in Saskatchewan, you probably saw that your whole life in Saskatchewan. Muriel, what I was going to say, yeah, this is just not in British Columbia. You know, I was born at the Fort Capel Union Hospital, you know, and so from the residential schools, my dad went to the Librette Residential School. I was born at the Indian Hospital. Uh, my aunties and uncles were sent to the, uh, the sanatorium for tuberculosis at Fort Capel. So I witnessed all this segregation all my whole life for sure. But the point I was going to make... This study was done in BC, but this is not just limited to British Columbia. I would say this is right across Canada and every province and every territory. And uh, everybody across Canada has, has seen what happened in the Quebec system, you know, with Joyce Echequan, you know, and uh, she, uh, sadly passed away with that trauma and the, the racism that she faced by the, the healthcare workers there. So this is not just in British Columbia. This indeed, we can point to other examples in every province. So... 
the impact that this has uh, on health care for First Nations people. Uh, you, you've talked about it. It's, it's going to become less for our people. Like, there's problems with um, language barriers. There's problems with sensitivity, culture, cross-cultural training, all these things. So this is my segue, I guess, into we know it's there. Your study in BC has illuminated this. And there are racial stereotypes resulting in inadequate health care for First Nations yeah, people. Well, right. What can be done about it? Well, lots. Lots can be done. And I think that's really important. The first thing is you see with this study a rigorous methodology, right? Like you have to look at it. So other things that we looked at were like, how has the pandemic affected Indigenous people more than others? How has the opioid epidemic affected? So like it's four times more impactful on Indigenous people in BC. Maybe it's 10 times more impactful in Manitoba or Saskatchewan. Maybe it's 20 times more impactful in the maritime provinces. I don't know. But we have a rigorous methodology where you actually assess and evaluate racism and impact on Indigenous people. So I agree with you, National Chief. I think this needs to be looked at everywhere. Is it only in British Columbia? No, this is the first place we've taken a rigorous look at it. And and the the deeper question, National Chief, is sort of like, why was it possible to do this in British Columbia? You know, and I would have to give, say, I really lift my hands up to many people in British Columbia because a year ago they adopted the UN Declaration and are implementing it. And when the UN Declaration was adopted in December 2019, everybody was like obsessed with free prior informed consent. It will shut down industry. But actually, a lot of us who have been around for many years working uh, with Indigenous people and in the systems knew that what was the biggest thing that's probably going to come out is racism because Article 24 of the Declaration guarantees Indigenous people um, access without discrimination, okay, to all social and health services. Such an elegant, perfect little phrase, right? You have a right to access without discrimination all health and social services. So as that declaration came to the forefront, and I did the work that I did with the team, I could go out to doctors, nurses, hospitals, health authorities, every partner in the system and say, this is the law in BC. Indigenous people are to access health services without discrimination. So I'm asked to look at it because it's not like I'm going to make it the law later. This is the law. And they don't have to make 50 complaints to your regulatory bodies. Mm-hmm. You have to bring the services in line. So the, the, the spirit of doing this was very positive because of that UN declaration shift. And because whether it's Minister Dix, Premier Horgan, the UN declaration was passed unanimously. It wasn't a partisan thing. It was unanimous. And again, shout out to chiefs and leaders in BC. And I know National Chief, you supported it very much and stood shoulder to shoulder with people. But when I look at what happens in Quebec, when I look at what happens elsewhere, and then when I look at the national lens, I think this has to be made abundantly clear. This is why we need to bring the UN declaration implement it meaningfully. So for Canada, like the Canada Health Act, if Canada had clearly embraced this and unequivocally said, we're implementing this for the whole country and each province, then you can do this work. I'm not saying we have to wait for it. We should do it anyway. But I'm just saying that what made the difference here, because I know it's a national issue, but I think what allowed us to start peeling this kind of onion back in BC was because we had everyone lined up that we're going to stop denying and fighting Indigenous people when they bring things forward. And we're going to start believing and respecting people. And 
what indigenous people said to me, and again, I mentioned the cultural advisor, Shane Point, like Shane was really strong and the elders and others I worked with were very strong to say, don't shame and blame, build something better, but don't, don't like sugarcoat, go in there and look at it, mm -hmm. do truth telling, but bringing people together to change. And so we are at that moment in BC. I don't know how it's going to work. But when I look other places, National Chief, that deny and disrespect the fact that Indigenous people have experienced this horrible colonialism, have experienced racism, it really brings me a lot of pain to see it because it's so hurtful during a pandemic to, to still be committed to that hatred and racism against Indigenous people. Like now is the time, like I say with Quebec with Joyce Echequan, we all like we're traumatized by just seeing that terrible FaceTime, you know, conversation and, and watching and hearing it. But the fact that Quebec won't acknowledge systemic discrimination, what is in BC? It's like we acknowledge mm -hmm. it. We're prepared to face it. We're prepared to deal with it. We know we have a lot of work to do. So my concern is in, for Indigenous people is what message are we sending to Indigenous people elsewhere if we're just saying, okay, well, you have rights in BC, but you don't have rights other, anywhere else. Like we have to make these shifts. And I know your advocacy as national chief, you've been focused on this for years. You've made major gains for First Nations people, but human rights like the declaration make the world of difference in a healthcare system. They really do. The UN declaration, implementing the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, not only in the province of BC, but we do have Bill C-50 now. It's a, it's a federal piece of legislation. The Liberals have brought it in. It's been introduced for first reading. So we're going to keep pushing that. And I always say the only mandate I had as national chief was to get a bill that was as strong as Bill C-262, the former private member's bill from NDP member of parliament, Romeo Saganash. And so we've done that. Now it's going to take its course. So that's something we're going to all look towards for... Uh, uh, a, a brighter future regarding fundamental human rights, you know, and healthcare is one of them. Now, back to the the, the, the BC study on racism, and, and uh, one of the things we want to talk about, yes, you have to acknowledge this racism and discrimination first and foremost. Once it's acknowledged, then we always say you can start fixing it and looking at, looking at transformative changes. And in this, for example, like we're, off the top of my head, what can be done? Like more First Nations doctors, more First Nations nurses, uh, services in our languages. Like even I mentioned the Fort Capel Indian Hospital at Fort Capel. Well, we transferred that to the Tribal Council control, but we incorporated First Nations healing. Like a sweat lodge is part of the hospital. So you can go Western way for healing and wellness or First Nations way for healing and wellness or a combination of there. Uh, of both. And we have First Nations medicine women in, in place there, First Nations medicine men in place with our traditional medicines as well. So we've incorporated that back home. That's just ex from my experience. But what else can be done in terms of the, uh, the, the recommendations through your report? I just throw that out there so people know that, oh, wow, we can incorporate our, our traditional ways of healing, you know, getting in balance, mentally, emotional, spiritual, physical, we can incorporate that, and we've I've seen that done back home. Well, what more can be done? What are some of the recommendations in your report going forward? Yeah, and I would say that like the work that's been done in Fort Capel to reclaim that space, that Indian hospital, to make it uh, a First Nations like that. That's a model, right? That's a model for what we see. And the recommendations here they focus on three things. They focus on beliefs, making sure that we 
take out those hostile, racist, prejudicial beliefs. So we have to change that. There has to be So that would be like misconception training, the, cross-cultural training? Is that... Yeah, proper training, but also accountability, like when something gets said, you know, but so the beliefs that are there about Indigenous people need to shift, the kind of training and teaching that people have needs to shift. So you have cultural humility and safety when you're working, all people need to understand it. I don't care if you're only working in Indigenous or non-Indigenous, you know, 80% of Indigenous people are getting their services off reserve at the point of care, wherever there's care, you have to have that. So that's the beliefs. Then there's the behaviours. We've got to change behaviors. We've got to make sure there's access. We've got to make sure people are held accountable. Like one thing Minister Adrian Dick said, which I really appreciated, he said, doctors hold privileges at hospitals. They're called privileges for a reason. If a doctor or physician is engaging in a racist practice, mm -hmm. they lose their privileges. Like that's behaviors. Like you got to do very strong behaviors. And we have to have a speak up culture where people speak out about racism that they deal with the racism. We don't just like have, well, we have a powerful doctor here, so we're going to let him do or her do what she wants. Then the, the bigger piece, national chief, is systems. Systems need to change. What do, what do I mean by that? I mean like we need to embed and hardwire cultural safety and humility. We need to change the probably Canada Health Act. In BC, we need to change the definition of what is quality for your health service to include being delivered in an anti-racist way. So systems have to change. And in that system, we need more Indigenous people, but we need the Indigenous people to be treated well. And one of the things I found in the review was the Indigenous people in the healthcare system, nurses, docs, staff, had themselves, 51%, had experienced direct personal racism in the workforce. So having a safe mm -hmm. workforce, like they, and, and some of that racism, National Chief, was career limiting mm -hmm. racism. Like they, like they should have been the head of medicine. But the racism was so severe. Like I tell the story of one doc, a uh, doctor who was told like, you know, leave your Indianness at the door. Right. I'm like, yeah. what? And then another one, which was said, we're going to give you all the drunks because those are your people. You know how to deal with them in emergency. So you're getting all the drunks. That's 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 so send all the drunks over to like John because John's the expert. He's from that community. He knows how to deal with drunks. Like these are not things this from Mississippi under Jim Crow. These are things I found. And so when I looked at, I worked a lot with the Indigenous people in the system to, for them to tell me their experiences. But some of them, like, you know, just experiencing racism is hugely stressful in the workplace and not getting support. And these are our Even in the medical the schools. You know, we, uh, we, we talked a few weeks yeah. ago with, Fed, we had a meeting with federal government, provincial governments and First Nations doctors and nurses. And some of the stories from the First Nations doctors that even when they're in med school, the 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 non-indigenous uh, med students would say, "Well, you only got in here because of an affirmative action program, and uh, you, you only got in here you know, because you, you're you're not really going to be a doctor. You know, like you're going to be less than a doctor. You know, like so that all that attitude was pervasive right through all the medical schools. You know, and it's very pervasive. And I tell the story in the report of a doctor's experience with racism. This is a doctor in northern BC." Um, you know, and he was within six months of his time in the hospital, he had to report two nurses, one because the nurse was constantly going through the patient's personal items looking for drugs to report them when there was like, they're just there sick. The other nurse uh, was lying to the patient consistently about what how much medication the person was in pain, and she was lying to them saying, we've given you your pain meds, shut up. And he's like, what are you talking about? You've given them no pain meds, they're in acute pain. So again, so that doc 
First Nations doc comes in, like we've trained him, that's like pride of the communities, bringing culture, knowledge, like all of these, you know, incredible strengths, right? And the first thing he hits is a team doing this. And that's the same doc where they said, we're going to put you in charge of dealing with your drunk relatives, because that's what you're good at. So I, I tell the story, and I get lift my hands up that they shared that story. But, you know, he said, my own relatives are left without receiving proper care because of racism. Because what is it that's causing that barrier? Racism, belie racist beliefs, racist behaviors, no accountability, no support. So someone like him who's desperately needed and doing fantastic work, how long is it going to be till he's totally burnt out and out of that system? So the Indigenous physicians, again, I lift my hands up to them. I'm glad they're working. I'm glad that you know, Government of Canada has been, Minister Bennett and others have been talking to them and working with them for a bit. Um, I'm glad we're going to have a national meeting on racism in healthcare and keep advancing that with Canada. But it's it's people like, I'm sure there's people listening to your podcast saying, oh, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, we have multiple evidence and the doc, we have to make sure that doc has a good experience. And I like what you said about Fort Capel because one of the recommendations was, you know, we have complementary Chinese medicine recognized in Canada, which is good. You can go to a school for Chinese medicine, you can have complementary medicine, but we don't have an indigenous medical school. Like we have an indigenous law program, like you know now at UVic, where you do indigenous legal order work, which is pathbreaking, and you learn the Canadian system. We need to have indigenous health practices because indigenous health practices and wellness, um, they may be immensely beneficial for the entire population. Like we've written off a whole area where actually indigenous people have survived very well, have, I mean, even like when you look at things like National Chief, like ethnobotany, mm -hmm. like plants. Ethnobotany is taught in a school of anthropology, not in a school of medicine and science. And so these are shifts that we need to make these shifts. We need to see this knowledge being respected, being taught, being celebrated. And so this report, even though it's about racism, it's also about, listen, we're missing out mm -hmm. on knowledge. We're, we're not lifting up people. We're not building it. So I hope some of those structural system changes will happen because I think that there's a lot of value in health and wellness if we bring more Indigenous knowledge and start to like have Indigenous medical school. Like I would like to see that happen. That's a really uh, bold statement. I think something we can all work towards because even you mentioned um, medicine people, both male and female, and, and the medicinal plants. Like I always said, we've our medicine people have uh, there's cures for everything. You know, and there's certain times of the year that you harvest medicines and you do it with respect. And there's certain times you don't touch certain things, you know. So it's it's that intellectual property as well that must and the respect for that that should not be abused, but done in a respectful way can have huge positive impacts for everybody that wants to go down that road. And uh, like we say, there's there's many ways to get well. And uh, I can only go by my experience back home at Fort Capel that when you walk through those doors, it's called the All Nations Healing Hospital right now for all nations not only First Nations, but non-Indigenous nations as well can come in, you make a choice. Western medicine, our First Nations medicine, or a combination thereof. And it's, uh, as far as I can understand, it's done in a respectful way, but there's so much we can share with not only Canada, but the world. And uh, I want to pick off on your point about acknowledging that racism and discrimination exists, and then you work towards transformative change. And whether that's changes to the Canada Health Act, 
whether that's the College of Physicians and Surgeons, you know, the doctors having privileges in hospitals. There's so much that we have to get done. And uh, we're going to lift you all up for your work that you've done. And it's not just in BC, but across Canada. Now, in your research and in your investigation, um, how open did you do you sense that, uh, do you get a sense that people working in that system are open to change? Yeah, I, I, I have to say that um, I think probably because Minister Dix and Horgan and we had the UN declaration, I, I was shocked by how much collaboration I had. I had absolutely no pushback to investigate these cases. Like, you know, when we hear about, for instance, missing and murdered women's inquiry, like RCMP won't give files, no one will talk, no one like, then you can't get to the bottom of things. Here in British Columbia, with this issue of healthcare, College of Physician Surgeons, nurses, BC Union of Nurses, Health Employees Union, um, physiotherapists, dentists, right across the board, every healthcare sector. I, I went to them, I looked at all of their complaints, I had to inspect things, I had to work with them. They were excellent on every single front. So that cooperation and collaboration was extraordinary. And I'm not too sure why it was so good, except I think it means it's the conditions are ripe to address it. And the response to the report has been like 100%. I've had no arguing, no like hectoring, because it's, it's really not even an advocacy report, National Chief. It's a factual report with evidence, right? And so the scientists and others are trained to see the evidence. So when, when like, I'll give you an example. Um, we looked at like people thought it's a rural and remote problem, like in rural areas and remote communities, that's where they have racism. But I found that in our women's hospital in Vancouver, which is a world class hospital, like one of the premier hospitals in the world for women's health, indigenous women were 11 times more likely to leave against medical advice than any other woman. So that's a big teaching hospital. That's a big research hospital. Indigenous women are not experiencing good care there. There's not continuity care. They're coming into emergency. They're not getting treated. They're not getting supported. That is just a fact, okay? That's not something we can argue about. Here's the fact. Here's the evidence. So now we're in a whole process to change that, right? So we're looking at the needs of women. How do we, like, meanwhile, they would say to you, we're doing great, but they had never really looked at it. So I, I it was a hard thing to, hard finding, to say this isn't rural remote, this is actually Vancouver's very best hospitals. And I would suggest to you probably that mentality, National Chief, is all across Canada. People probably say, oh, we're a great teaching hospital in Toronto, we don't do this, when actually we need to unpackage it. But when you do unpackage it, what I found is everyone's come together and wants to work on it, right? And and what is the work though? And this is the issue about being Indigenous-led mm -hmm. I would like to see health services. Let's say health services are in, like you, you talk about Fort Capel. Some things are provincial programs, transplant programs, like cancer care. Like some things are a whole province has a system, right? There, you, you go out somewhere else to get that care. Others are community care, urgent care that's more closer to your community. I would like to see the strong relations with Indigenous people of the territory, mm -hmm. right? So if you're a hospital in Fort Capel, absolutely you need to be there with nations, right? And it needs to be a partnering and you need to see that and have that cultural safety and training. Um, one of the docs I met, I would just tell you, was really interesting. He had been in New Zealand. He's an emergency room doc, non-Indigenous. And he said to me, you know, I came here to BC and they gave me like one hour of online training. 
when I went to New Zealand, the Maori made me train for a week and mm -hmm. go to their village. And there's seven Maori in our urgent care center. And when their elders come in to the Maori elders, because they're so respected, he says, they're like rock stars when they come in. Like we're excited. Like we fight over who gets to treat them because we want to have their knowledge, right? They're not, we have to go on their river. We have to see their house. We have to like, and, and this doc said to me, that was the best experience of my life getting to know this Ma the Maori. Yeah. And he said, then here I am. There's a, there's literally a reserve across the street from our hospital and all I have is like hatred toward them. I don't even know how to make connections. I want to know this. And so that was a great, that was a young doc, totally sincere, you know, once. And so that, that particular hospital, we took it apart and put it back together a little bit during this review, the chiefs there, the cultural leaders there, we all work together. Like that whole hospital's turned around now in BC, like it's coming together brought the elders and then now I hear like they're treating them much better right people are being treated better things are changing but it's the desire was there it's just that doc as an example was like I don't know why the system is blocking us because it's like what you've seen in your lifetime national chief once indigenous people are partnering with people respectfully and we eliminate these yeah. prejudices nothing yeah. but good nothing but good happens in every profession and people have great relationships so racism is not a permanent stain. It's something we work with as with people and we do need champions. But I found a lot of champions who are being held back by systems. So we're going to need to fix it in probably Canada Health Act. Maybe we do need some federal legislation, but we do yeah, need those you, tools. Not only in the Canada Health Act, but even province by province, you know, because uh, because of the uh, the whole relationship where the um, the federal government, uh, I won't offloaded to provincial governments, education, healthcare, and social services in the 60s. And so, yes, we can look at it globally from a national perspective in the Canada Health Act, but province by province as well, they've got some work to do uh, to end this uh, uh, racism and discrimination and bring about that transformative change. And you, you talked about the need to build relationships, and uh, you gave a good example of that uh, young doctor, you know, and uh, I think that's one of the things that we always talk about is building, building relationships and building partnerships and breaking down the walls that exist between First Nations people and the rest of Canadian society in all sectors. Um, that, that's what we've got to keep doing, transformative change. And uh, it, it has to begin. Now, the last... The last things that I, I, I try, unless is there something else you want to share about your study? Because I want to bring in, we've talked about systemic racism in the healthcare system in BC from this great, fantastic report and research you've done. And it, this is evidence. This is factual. You know, and so now there's a process there to fix and transform that system. And uh, we, we've talked about how we have to expand it across Canada because it's not just in British Columbia. It's, it's rampant across Canada. And so we've talked about some things that can and may and should happen. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share? Because at the, my last question to you is going to be, in light of all these challenges, what gives you hope? Yeah, I think um, I was just going to share, um, you know, we, we think about it as opportunity. Okay, like, I mean, again, the cultural advice from Shane Point and others, you know, Cliff Atlio Sr., others who advise us during these processes, uh, BC you know, elders, cultural knowledge keepers was really, again, like not shaming and blaming, but finding the good way together. But that doesn't mean you varnish the truth and don't mm -hmm. tell it, right? But you have to find a way forward because 
as you know, national chief, like there's incredible anger about this racism. And so there should be, you know, and you have to, we have to take our emotional temperature and use our spiritual and other practices to stay grounded and focused and keep our vision clear to make these changes. And we need to lift up other people to do mm -hmm. it with us. Right. Cause it's always a path we go together and healthcare is a systems with a lot of people working together. But I was going to just give you one more story from the report, which it's the sort of thing that of all, like I said, the one about the mom having the baby and the crazy comment, something that made me so angry personally, but it goes to the issue of what gives me hope is there was a, a, um, a grandmother getting care. She had, um, I believe it was cervical cancer and cervical cancer is about two times higher rate for indigenous women, but the screening is like one tenth of what it should be. So like, it's again, something where it could be caught, it could be treated. Like it's such so many problems with this racism has caused such bad care, but there's a grandma, she's in the hospital, she's getting her treatments. She has cedar behind her bed, like on the wall. That's her medicine, cedar. Mm -hmm. That's her, she's Coast Salish, she has cedar. Her daughter's there, the nurse comes in, pulls the cedar off the wall, throws it in the garbage and says, we don't let that allow that stuff here. Right. And again, like for an indigenous person, it's that sort of thing. Like, first of all, there's no reason to do that. Number one, she's not, it's not impeding her care. It's not doing anything negative to her. That's her care. And like you said earlier about like spiritual practices, like we have rules, mm -hmm. like there are rules and things you do and you never impede on people and to grab someone's medicine and throw it in the trash you know, and so that was like emblematic to me of this problem in this report. It was like the metaphor that I held with me, which is it's like they're taking that cedar and throwing it in the garbage and not understanding. First of all, that's her comfort. Yeah. That's her system. But that could also be your system if you actually were respectful. Right. And so I, I just I found that one made me so enraged because I was like, these are, first of all, elders. And I had one guy, 86 year old guy who participated in the review. He was so sweet. He doesn't have like internet. He doesn't like have cable TV or whatever to see the release, but he'd been to residential school, had multiple instances of that kind of racism in his life. And he's like, finally, someone's validating. But what they said to me, especially these old wise old people, right? Who have kept their medicine mm -hmm. close and strong despite all of these other things. They said to me this, they said, Mary Ellen, you need to take this racism and you need to give it back to the system because that's not mm. our racism. Give it back to the system, put it where it belongs. Don't let our people have it, give it back because we just need healthcare. And I love, so that was, so in terms of sort of what gives me hope, like that was the thing that made me most angry was that disparaging treatment of this grandmother um, who needed, like she needed cancer mm -hmm. care, right? Like, what do you care if she has her cedar there? Like, give me a break. And then, but the, the thing that gave me hope was the idea that I could change that, right? And so even during this process, like we have to be empowered. And as Indigenous people, we have to empower each other. Even in these 800 cases I had, in some of these cases, in real time, we were able to untangle things. You, you, you know the case about the young corporal that ended up in the psychiatric unit in British Columbia. We got him, worked together to get him out and get that straightened out. He experienced horrific mm -hmm. racism. He's a young guy. Um, things can change. Like once you get the racism out of the picture, things change. So what gives me a lot of hope is how skilled and capable Indigenous people are mm -hmm. working together with non-Indigenous people. But the other thing that really gives me hope is how I've been seeing in real time this 
UN declaration that people think it's some abstract thing for lawyers or whatever, but it's so fundamentally helpful when people in the system understand discrimination. They have this, like putting on a new set of glasses, they see it differently and suddenly everything's easy, right? So what I find really hopeful is if we really embraced that commitment to ending discrimination, implementing the declaration, if health professionals got trained and in the health system, we had good training to understand why are these, you know, articles in this declaration so important? Why are we implementing it? Because it allows us to deal with racism. Yes, we have to deal with lands and territories and many, many other issues as well. And, you know, free prior form consent is really important. Absolutely. I'm, I, I, it's like, it's, but so much information, so much chatter has been on that as opposed to, hey, don't you want to end racism? <laughs> like, this is a yeah. great tool. So what gives me really big hope is this has been, been in BC. I hope it spreads. I hope nationally we do have a, a federal UNDRIP legislation. The UN Declaration is implemented. I do hope that means Canada changes the National Health Act and puts a commitment to anti-racism in there. I see how easy it is once you start down that path, like how easy it is. But if you're in the path of fighting, you, you know, if the healthcare system want to be Indian fighters and res disrespect people and continue that treatment like they did to the grandmother, I just think a lot of our young people who I educate, the law students and others, you know, they're, they're just going to mm -hmm. sue your pants off and you're going to lose yeah. anyway. So you might as well try and work with us. So what gives me hope is the power, like not only was I upset, but believe me, Everyone is not going to permit that any exactly. longer. So it's coming out in the open. And, and I do think change will happen. But I don't want to under, underestimate the pain people have experienced. I don't want to under, under, underestimate how wronged people have been. And I know we have to work together. But when I think about the work in BC, which we started, it's good. And I think about nationally, I really would like to see Canada mm -hmm. step up. You know, And I know they've indicated that. They've learned a lot through the pandemic. Um, they were facing ra racism around the pandemic, like their communities where there's like, you know, Tim Hortons is closed to Cowichan tribes because they're going to be transmissions of COVID. Like we've seen racism. We're dealing with that as well. That's not in the healthcare so mm -hmm. much as the community. But I do think Canada has to step up. Canada, you know, health is a national, you know, from Saskatchewan, Tommy Douglas. Canada has a unique responsibility for the entire mm -hmm. healthcare system. They're the stewards of the whole system. On this one, they're saying good things, but we have to make mm -hmm. changes. And so I hope they'll they'll use the chiefs and others to make those changes because at the point of care, people have better care when the system mm -hmm. is tuned up. And and it's about that grandmother, right? We should never ever have that happen. I don't care if it's sweetgrass in Saskatchewan cedar in you know british columbia what the medicine is there's no need it's totally complimentary there's no need to mistreat people in my opinion and um, it's all fixable but um it has to have a good heart and mind like she like our elder shane point said one heart one mind right you have to be mm -hmm. positive we have to keep working together to get this to yeah. change well mary ellen i just want to say thank you so much for coming on our alchemy podcast for your work, for your dedication, uh, for ending racism and discrimination in the healthcare system. And uh, you, you're, you've highlighted the need for transformational change. And uh, I just want to lift you up and thank you for that. And uh, is there anything else? 
Well, thank you. Thank you, my friend. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to talk together and it's a pleasure and just make sure that all of your listeners know everything that we've done is available online to read. There is a website, it's engage.government.bc.ca and that's where the in plain sight report is and other materials. So you can just Google it or you can just go to it. It's engage, E-N-G-A-G-E dot gov, G-O-V dot B-C dot C-A. And that will bring you into all of the materials around the racism review. We have a little team. So if someone somewhere else is thinking of doing something on racism in their healthcare system, we'll share everything. We'll share our method. We'll share our material. Whatever people need, you know, we're here to share. It's a very transparent process. I've protected all the stories like confidentiality for people. So I'm not going to identify, but we can share how to do it. And um, I just really want to recognize all of those people across Canada working just to bring change to the healthcare system and all those Indigenous people delivering healthcare services and overcoming a lot and just really thank them very much for their service and recognize that during the pandemic how um, how dedicated they are to when you consider it's a pandemic and racism itself is a bit of an epidemic so I really want to recognize the good work there so thank you so much National Chief for having me. Thanks again Mary Ellen. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamemik podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. <laughs>